kick off a new series called Fresh Air today. And um, in Acts 1-8, it says we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And there's so many pastors today leaving, leaving out the power of God, which is probably the most important thing that we need as Christians today in our walk with God. And uh, I can't imagine walking through life without the Holy Spirit guiding me and, and helping me. Um, it, it's the only thing that makes me able to call myself a pastor. And um, without the power of God, I really think as Christians, we, we have, without, without having God's power behind us, it, it's useless. And this is a momental, momental day, momentous day, I should say, monumental day for uh, the body of Christ. Pentecost Sundays when they were all gathered in the upper room in one accord just waiting and praying and believing God for what Jesus had already promised them which was an infilling of the Holy Spirit and uh, it, it said that he came into the room like a mighty rushing wind or in other translations it says the breath of God blew into the room. And my desire for you over the next four weeks as we talk about fresh air is that the breath of God would just breathe into you and bring times of refreshing into your life. Uh, life today is hard. We live in a very fast-paced life. I can remember when I was a young, young boy, most of the moms of my friends did not work. They stayed at home. They spent time with their kids. But in the economy and in the world we live in today, moms have to work. It just the average family cannot make it on a one-person income. That's just the, that's just the truth of where we're at today. My wife works, I work, and uh, I'm really blessed. I get to work with her beautiful face every single day, and uh, we get along really well. We work together, we live together, we do life together, and uh, there's not a lot of couples that wouldn't kill themselves <laughs> or kill each other. I mean, if they had to work with each other all day long, and uh, I'm just real honest, okay. And uh, if I look a little more Cajun than I normally am, with my last name Olivier, it's because I was in the sun, and today I look like a crawfish. And if you could see my, my kneecaps uh, from here to here, I look like a candy cane. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and it's bad. And when I go to sit down, I don't want to see you. ain't going to worry about me sitting down really quick today or sitting on a stool because I bend my knees, and it lights me on fire. Last night, I put that, you know, they make that aloe vera stuff, and you wipe on it, it's usually cool, and it gives you relief. I poured the whole bottle on my knees last night, just had gel sitting there saying, please, Lord, help me. I took Colby to a football camp that was supposed to be two hours yesterday with, with college scouts, and uh, they were supposed to let like 400 kids register. They let 1,100 register, and uh, they were supposed to start at noon, didn't start to 2 o'clock, and we didn't get out of there until after 4 o'clock yesterday. So instead of being in the sun two hours, like I thought, we were in the sun for about six hours. And um, so I wasn't prepared, and I wasn't smart. I should have known better. But uh, they talked about um, life teams a little bit in the video. Life teams are essential to what we do here at Triumph. And uh, it's a way to get plugged in and to get closer to God because uh, – in the society we live in today, I don't think Sunday morning is enough. Uh, the disciples started this trend. This is not something new. Jesus had the first small group. He had 12, and they were called the disciples. Uh, he had more people that were in his church and influence. We see where he sent out over 80 disciples in, in one part of the New Testament. 
But the deal was there was 12 that he focused on. And so we keep our small groups to about 10 or 12. And uh, in my case, I'm going to let my group be a little bit bigger this time. But we do that on purpose so that we can disciple people and that we can learn more about Christ and we can get a little deeper than we can on a Sunday morning. And so we have some great life teams this time. Uh, John and Faye are doing a life team uh, on loss and grief and what that looks like. Both of them have lost their spouses and uh, their brother-in-law and sister-in-law. They're great people. And they're talking about how to walk through grief in your life. If you've lost someone that's really close to you, lost a child, you've lost a spouse, uh, or maybe you've just had loss in your life, this is a great life team to jump into and be a part of. Uh, Jerry and Lapita are doing one on marriage. If you're having issues in your marriage, get plugged into their life team. It's nothing to be ashamed of. We all have bumps in the road. Not all husbands are perfect like me, Pastor Jennifer. <laughs> She'll sign me up after church. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's great to get plugged in these things. Now, I'm going to do a life team, and we're going to just go have fun. Because sometimes you just got to get away from the world and everything that's going on. And so, guys, sign up for my life team. We're going to go top golf one night. We're going to go golfing. Uh, one day we may go shoot guns. We may even blow up some tannerite. We might go to Matt's house to do that because Tanya loves tannerite. And uh, you, you never know what we're going to do in our life team, but we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to do some things that some guys have never done before. And we're going to have fun. We might just go to the beach and go surf fishing one Sunday, but we're going to do things like that and just get to know each other and get to spend time together. It's good when men come together and do things together, and, and, and they can lock in and make friends and have other men to talk to to walk them through things in their lives. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. It's going to be great. Make sure you get signed up. Uh, in one of those live teams. I want to, uh, most of y'all know who Bobby and Sherry Woodruff are. And I want to talk to you about them this morning. Uh, Sherry's in the hospital this morning. Um, she was having some problems forgetting what was going on through the day. And her texts were getting real slurred. And uh, she got to where she, her conversation, her words were beginning to slur a little bit. And uh, so they were a little concerned. They went to the doctor. And she's got a mass in her brain the size of a ping pong ball. And uh, I feel a real peace about this. I believe God's healing her. Uh, she's going to have surgery Tuesday morning. They're going to cut it out. It's operable. And uh, she'll go through a little bit of chemo. But we're praying for her. You know how it is as a lady. You like to fix your hair and do all that. Uh, she's going to go through a tough time, probably lose a little bit of hair. They're going to shave a little bit. Might end up with a cool scar, which guys dig, but girls really don't want scars on their body. Uh, but, you know, just, just be praying for them over the next few weeks as they go through this. Uh, me and Pastor Josh and, and Jennifer will be there Tuesday with them, and, and we're going to help them walk through this. And, you know, we go through little bits of pain in our lives, but, but on the other side of pain, there's always promise. There, there's always a dream, and God always brings us through it. And we always look better, even with scars, with Jesus than we did before. And so we'll be praying for them this week, and we're believing God is, is going to totally heal her. And I really have a peace about this situation. I don't feel any, any problems whatsoever. I, in fact, I walked into the hospital last night and said, there's my miracle right there. And uh, because I believe that she is a walking miracle and that her testimony is going to make a difference in somebody's life. And so I want to start with Acts 3.19 today, verse, verses 19 through 20. And I'll be reading out of the NLT. 
and says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. How many of y'all would say, I need some times of refreshing in my life? There's a direct correlation with getting sin out of our life, getting junk out of our life, and, and the refreshing presence of God. Because when we get rid of stuff that's wrong on the inside, it allows Jesus to start working on all the little external things in our life. It, it starts with the internal. And that, that word refreshment is act, actually means recovery of breath. And the Greek word is anaxpis, which is where we get the root word for sleep, acnea. And uh, my dad's got sleep acnea. A lot of guys have sleep acnea. I, I don't have it. I sleep like a rock. If I have it, I don't know. I wake up. I wake up every morning refreshed. And uh, my wife's ears might not be refreshed, but I'm refreshed. And uh, but there's and they get the root word for sleep acnea from this because people lack air during the middle of the night. They they lack refreshment. And, and so. What, what God's saying is here is he wants fresh air to blow, in, blow into your life. He wants to give you fresh air so that you can wake up every morning feeling good about who you are and feeling good about where you are headed in life. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm not perfect. I need fresh air every once in a while. I get tired. I get wore down just like the rest of you. And uh, I get sunburned. I get all kinds of stuff. And every once in a while, I just need some relief. In my life, and there's nothing like the presence of God that 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 relieves you as much as God does. In fact, we'll look to Second Timothy one sixteen. Paul gives out a shout out to an obscure person that we only see a couple times in the in the Scripture, and his name is Onesiphorus. I cannot talk today. Second Timothy one sixteen, the Living Bible says, "May the Lord bless Onesiphorus." On, on Cyprus, I'm sorry, on Cyprus and all his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. He visited, his visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Now we got to look at the setting that, that Paul's in. Paul's in prison at this point in time and he's in chains. They didn't just have him in prison, he's more like in a dungeon and he's, he's in chains and Timothy, his good friend, his core in ministry, has not visited him. The, all the guys who believed in him that he thought were his core have not visited him. In fact, they, they've kind of forsaken him at this point in time. Paul has said some stuff that was out there. Uh, he's been talking to the Roman Empire, and he says some stuff that's out there. And, and he, he's right about everything that he said. He took a stand for Jesus and they don't want to be affiliated with him because of the radical stand that he's taken. Paul was radical in everything that he did. And so nobody's visiting Paul. He feels forsaken. He feels all alone. You ever felt forsaken and just all alone? Like, like somebody just left you and they, they, they left you and it's almost like you've been left to die. And Paul's sitting in chains in a cell, and nobody's visiting him because they're afraid that if they visit Paul, they'll be in the cell next to him in chains along with him. And so Paul's at a place in his life where everything has gone wrong. 
He's all alone. And, and he's at a breaking point. But there's one guy that was a friend to him. One guy that had actually entertained him while he was in Ephesus. And this guy makes the journey and comes to see Paul. And he says, "On Cephas's visits were like refreshment to me. God used an obscure man to minister to one of the greats of all times in the Bible. And the one time we see him in the Bible, he's doing something that none of, none of the guys we read about would have done. He goes the extra mile. An ordinary guy with an ordinary life that, that's not called or chosen, but God uses him because he's faithful. And internally, Onesiphorus is right. And he goes and he visits Paul, and he says that his visits were like refreshment from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes you just need some God people in your life. You need somebody that's going to stand with you when nobody else will, when it's not popular to stand. In our day and age, there's some topics that Paul was talking about in this scenario that, that today are still not popular to talk about. You could be labeled. You could have all your sermons audited by the mayor of Houston for speaking on the same things that Paul was speaking about back then, but he did not care because he, he was going to stand for God no matter what anybody else said. We need refreshment in our life. And, and, and the more I look at people today, the, 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 the lack of refreshment I see in their lives. They, they go on vacation and they come home even from a week or, or two weeks of vacation. And they still have the heavy burdens that they had on before they left. There's just, there feels like there's no breath of fresh air. There's, there feels like there's no end in sight. And we, we, fall, we fall into certain traps. In fact, we get stuck into what I call the doldrums. And this is a term they would use, that when you're stuck in the doldrums, there's no hope for where you're at. And, and they have a map they're going to throw up here today. And this, this zone right over here, right at the intertropical convergence zone, right north of the equator, right outside the coast of Africa, uh, is a place known as the doldrums. It's where the northern and the southern hemispheres meet. And, and the the southern hemisphere, it's doing this number here. And the northern hemisphere is doing this number here. And, and there's a counterclockwise and a clockwise motion that, that intersects at this one specific point in the ocean. And it causes, what they, it causes what they call a dead zone. And as a sailor, if you were to get stuck in what they call the doldrums, it could be death. There was no wind. There was no way to get your sails going again. There was no breath of refreshment. There was, no, there was no hope. In fact, sailors that were trapped in this zone could go months without their boats even moving. They would just kind of spin in a circle from the vortex. You ever felt like you're going in a circle and just not going anywhere? In fact, it would be so bad that they'd be stuck there so long and there'd be no food or nothing to eat and they couldn't get their boat out of the zone where they were stuck that they would eat the other sailors to try to survive. 
and, and they were at a point of total despair, and a, a place of, of where they would, they would eat each other because they weren't happy and they couldn't get out of the place they were stuck in. And we as Christians tend to do that sometimes. We get stuck in our lives and we're not happy with our life, so we talk about other people and, and we hurt other people and we do things to other people because we're stuck in the doldrums of life. We're stuck in a vortex and we don't know how to get out because there's no wind. There's no refreshment. There's no breath of God in our life. We're stuck in the doldrums. People in life get stuck in these doldrums. They get in debt. They get in problems in their marriage. They're not faithful to each other. They, they lose their job, and then all of a sudden they're in debt over their head because they weren't prepared to lose their job. No one's ever prepared to lose their job. No one's ever prepared enough, really, for financial hard times. And, and, and we get, we get stuck, in, stuck in all this external things that are going on around us and all the backbiting and all the talking and all the all the hearsay and all the they said this about me and, and all these things happen in our life and, and and your kids may be acting crazy and things are going wrong and you just you don't know how to get out of where you're at and you start to make horrific choices or the things that we do that keep us keep us stuck in this zone is we start faking it people will come up to you and say well are you okay? And you say, oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. And on the external, you put up a good show. It all looks good. Life looks great. It's almost like the marching bands right there beside you. Every, you're marching on with life. Everything's good because we know how to put on a show. But on the internal, we're a mess. We're stuck. And the more we fake it, the less we get out of our mess because we never turn to anyone for help. We never ask for anybody to help. Boats go by and we, we, can't, we don't signal for help. We just say, hey, we're okay. We never go see the pastor. We never talk to the life team. We never get involved. And we stay stuck in this same place because we're faking it. Because we don't want anybody to know we're stuck in the doldrums. We don't want anyone to know there's no refreshment in our life. There's no fresh air in our life. The Holy Spirit is really not with us, and we don't feel Him where we're at. And we answer, I'm all good, even though we're not. In Jeremiah 6.14, we see they're talking to pastors and ministers in this verse, and it says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. We tend to tell people we always want to give hope and we always want to give life and we always want to give the right answer. And, we'll, and, and, and we speak peace to people, but it's hard to speak peace into somebody's life when there is no peace because they, they put on a good external show. Well, I'm good now. Everything's good. Every, life is grand, but we're just spinning in the vortex, caught right in the middle of a situation that we can't get out, and we just keep faking it. And, and then the next thing we do is we start, we start putting it off. I had a couple come into my office not too long ago, and uh, actually one of the couple came in. There was a man came in my office and said, my wife did this and did this, and, 
and she told me she's leaving me. And, and we prayed and we talked about it. And so he went and told his wife that we talked. And next thing I know, they left the church because she didn't want to talk about it. She was okay faking it and pretending everything is okay. And I've seen this over and over and over again. They just go to another church and they keep faking it and they keep pretending that, oh, we're, you know, we're good, we're perfect, life is, life is grand, but they're stuck in a vortex and I just want to throw them a life preserver, but they won't take it. You know, it's funny in life how God throws us life preservers. He gives us opportunities to see stuff and, and to move our life forward, but out of pride... We refuse to do it. We just keep faking it. We keep saying it's okay. And then and we just we just we just put off things. We well, I'm gonna go talk to the pastor and we put it off. Or or I'm gonna go talk to so and so and we put it off. You don't even have to talk to me, go talk to somebody else. There's people in this room right now that are hurting, but they don't want to talk to anybody about it. Because somebody might think a little worse of you about it. Or or I can't trust them. There's good people that you can trust. You just got to find somebody that has the eternal, internal right. Their eternal will be right if their internal is right, and which causes all the external to be right. Only the Holy Spirit can heal us if we need a breath of fresh air in our life. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. See, God's, God's not mad at us. He doesn't care that we got sin in our lives. He has grace, but what happens when we, when we fake it and we, we put it off and we think that time will heal things, and I, I have bad news for you, time doesn't heal anything. If you don't deal with it, time only makes it worse in your life. And, and so we think it's okay, and... And we just keep going, and before long, we have little weeds that pop up in our garden and pop up in our life, and they affect the way our external looks. And we never pluck those weeds out of our life, and those weeds one day become trees, and they have roots. And, and those roots dig deep into the ground because we, we just keep faking it, and we don't want to realize that we need God in our life, and we need the Holy Spirit in our life, and, and the roots become bigger and bigger. And before long, you need a heavy piece of equipment to get the roots out of your life. It's not just a simple fix of, I realized there was something small. I'll pluck it out. I'll move on with God. It was a little painful. It's okay. I've gone through it. I'm walking into the promise that has God, has, God has for my life. But instead, we don't do that. We nurture the problem. We complain about it. We, we worry about it. I look on Facebook every day, and you're not going to believe what happened today. I just, ah! There's people whose Facebook page, I promise, are just, ah! 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 Everything, I mean, it's like a crow stuck in your ear. And there's some people that every day are going to have a travesty in their life, no matter what. There is never a happy moment in their life. Every, they can find a bad way to look about everything. But the problem is when we have a bad lookout, lookout on everything that we do in our lives, every single minute of our lives, that takes root in our lives. And when that becomes a root in our life, it becomes a habit, and that habit is very hard to break. And it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. 
and you'll find yourself believing the things that you've spoken over your life. And pretty soon the external things in your life that you're complaining about will be the internal things in your life which will affect your eternity in the long run. Because we have to realize that we have to get whatever it takes to get the roots out of our life so that we can operate in the grace of God in our lives. He wants to give us grace, and all we have to do is ask. We make it so much harder than it really is. And then number three is we, we give up because we get stuck in the doldrums, and after faking it long enough and we put it off long enough, we, we just give up. And we, we throw in the towel, and we lose all hope, and we decide we will never not be miserable. You ever met somebody that's just miserable all the time? Just they cannot be happy no matter what happens. They can win the lottery and still be miserable. In fact, we see that in Hollywood every single day. We do. We see it every single day. These people have what, what we would call the greatest life in the world. The cameras are flashing at them. They're all pretty. They're not ugly like me. And they got good looks, and they got fame, and they got money. They got everything that we'd ever want in life. They got the latest sports car. They got all the latest entertainment stuff. Everything is perfect in their life on the external. It's all perfect on the external. And then it leads to number four is you die. And we can't let it get to this point. This place. Listen to me today. We, you can't let your life get to number four. You have to reach out for help. We see people. We see eighteen-year-old kids every day and seventeen-year-old kids every day who, who have their whole life ahead of them. But somebody told them in school they were ugly, and they believe it, and it becomes a root in their life. We have actors in Hollywood that. They have all the money in the world, and, and we see this on a daily basis, but they're not happy. They have no fulfillment in life. They have all the external things of what we conceive as a perfect life, but they don't have what internally makes them happy. So they turn to false highs, and they turn to false breaths of fresh air, and, and they turn to what the devil would tell them will fix them. This latest drug will take the pain away. It'll take the heartache away. And, and we, we read it over and over again, celebrity after celebrity after celebrity. All the money in the world. Some of them own their private islands. Some of them have all their private jets. They, they have all the stuff in the life, but they have no contentment. They have no internal safe place. All the external things are perfect, but the internal is messed up. And their external life, because they think that's how what fixes it is the external. They turn to the external, and it becomes a root inside their internal, and it leads them to places of heartache, and they end up losing hope. Job said this in Job 17, 13. Where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? You ever felt like Job? Where's my hope? What, can I, I can't see any hope for me. Any hope at all is what Job said. 
And, and Job's at a place of despair in his life. And he feels, he feels like the Lord has left him. And even though we can't see hope, hope is always there. In fact, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. But it's not things that we see. Hope is always there. In fact, some of the greats of the Bible were there. Paul, for example, in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. Here we see Paul again. He said, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. In fact, they're at the point where they're so overwhelmed, they feel like they're already dead before they are. They feel like we're, we're going to be tortured and we're going to be killed. They, have, they, they say it's beyond our ability to even endure. This is Paul talking. You ever felt like you're in that place that you just, I, I, I don't have the ability to endure what's going on in my life. But, but then he says this. He, he said, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. See, God was doing something in Paul. He was getting him to a place where he could see. Remember a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about how uh, the guy was in the watchtower and he said, see what I say? Which is, which is funny because it's two different, sense, two different senses altogether. Seeing and saying are two different Two different things. He was saying, see out of faith what I'm saying. The deal is, we don't, we don't have that saying. We don't have the word and the breath of God in our lives that, that we can start seeing what he said over our lives. And Paul's at this point, and, and God has to bring Paul to this point for a reason. Because Paul said, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. Paul said, I felt like I was dead. But I came to the place and I realized I can't rely on me. I can't rely on what it looks like on the external. I got, I got to lean on the internal and I got to lean on Jesus. And when I rely on him, things change. He said, I rely on the God who raises the dead. I felt like I was dead, but now I feel like I'm resurrected. Paul said, things change when I quit relying on things that I think is the way to do things. Sometimes we just need a breath of fresh air. And then he says this, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. His whole outlook's changed. It's just saying, we're just going to be here and die. He said, God's rescued us once. He'll rescue us again. And we'll have a place we have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. No matter what situation I get into, no matter where I'm at in life, I've come to a new reality that if I can learn not to trust on my own understanding, but I can lean on Jesus, he can do it for me. You know what's great about Pentecostal Sunday? is We, we read about all the greats of the Old Testament. We read about David, and we read about Samson. What made David extraordinary was when, when, when the prophet laid his hands on David and he anointed him, anointed him, the Spirit of God came upon him. That was the Spirit that allowed him to conquer the giant. That was the Spirit that allowed him to do everything he did. We read about Samson. He would shake, and that covenant with God would just shake 
on his head, that covenant that he had with God. And as it shook, the Spirit of God would come over him, and he could do anything he put his mind to do because the Spirit of God was on him. And what, what was only reserved for, for a select few in the Old Testament, when Jesus pays the price, and, and they come into one accord, and they're waiting in the room immediately, like a rushing wind, a breath of fresh air, the breath of God blows over them and fills them. And that's where Acts 1 came, at 1 8 comes in that when I received his spirit, I received power. There's something about when the spirit of God comes over you, it changes all of the circumstances. Well, Pastor, the first part of your message was kind of negative. Because I felt like I was going to die before. I'm telling you, there's hope. But the deal is God's got you in the right place at the right time to quit relying on yourself and all the external things in life and to start relying on him so that he can do the miracle in you and through you. We all have a choice. And this is the key to my message today. I want you to hear my heart today is we do the wrong things to get out. We do, we do external things to get out of the trouble that we're in. I, I have three great boys, and they mess up like every day. And they do little things, but they don't mess up in big ways. They're, they're good boys. In fact, they're great kids. I'm proud of each and every one of them. They all, they all made A-B honor roll for the whole year. They all excel at everything they do because they're blessed. Because God's blessing on my life is transparent in their life. But the deal is, when they mess up, I can do external things to correct them. We're talking about the internal and the external today. And I can do external things to correct them. And I can yell at them. I can ground them. I can even beat them. But that, that's, that's external stuff that I can do. But I want to tell you what, the external fixes nothing. Like I talked about in Hollywood, they, they have all the external things. External things is not what fixes you. It's when I, as the heart of a dad who loves God, when I teach them my love for God, and I show them my love of God and how faithful he is to me and my family and to every area of my life, and when I impart that to them, and they grab a hold of the love of God, Something internal happens on them. And when the internal happens in their life, and they realize that they can lean on God and His understanding instead of their own understanding, I don't have to worry about all the big things that are going to go wrong. I really don't worry about my kids doing drugs or doing any of that thing because I'll beat them to death. That's external. But, but the truth is, the real revelation I want you to get today is... If the internal in their life is right and they love God, then there's something that comes out of that that will cause all the external things to be right in their life. But, but it's out of teaching them how to be eternally and internally right. That internal and eternal go together in every single way, fashion, and form. We've got to do the right things to get our children out of a bind. We've got to do the right things and, and plant the right seeds in their life so that harvests come up 
not weeds, not roots. We teach them how to deal with the doldrums. In fact, they got some pictures of what doldrums look like. Let's go up. Show me the picture. Okay, that's a boat that's stranded. That looks like a doldrum, don't it? But, but what's that look like? Look like paradise. Y'all ready to go, aren't you? That's a doldrum. There's no wind there. Turn, go to the next one. Cells are up here. and that, that looks like paradise too, but there's no waves and there's no wind because they're, they're in the middle of doldrum. And sometimes what we think is paradise is not. It's only a false sense of security in order for the devil to get us where he needs us to be so that we have no fresh breath in our life. We have no wind in our life. On the external, everything looks perfect. Everything looks good. But the reality is it's still the doldrums of life. It's still the hard places in life. In Genesis 2.9, it says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I love this scripture. I want to look at it a little closer. And uh, the Lord made... All kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life, of knowledge of good and evil. And, and in this, God wants them to just enjoy life and enjoy all the trees. And he's saying, be blessed, be happy, have fun. That's what he wanted for them. He said, enjoy yourself. I'm going to walk in the cool of the garden every evening, Adam, and we're going to talk. And life is going to be good and it's going to be great. But there was a point in their life where they looked to the external. And in this, he said, is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, there's good things in this tree and there's bad things in this tree. You don't want to know about these things. You don't want the bad things in your life. And, uh, and you don't need to know about all the good things. You've got all the good things because you have me. And everything's good. But... But the snake came in and externally told him, look, this is what you're going to get. It's all going to look better and the picture is going to be clearer. And you're going you're to know what God knows. And he doesn't want you to do this. And he, he talks to him and he paints this pretty picture. Kind of like the pictures I was showing you just a second ago. And tells them everything is going to be great. And they make an external decision. It gets them thrown out of the garden forevermore. just talked about my kids and the parenting example but you know it's the same way with marriage too I said I do I said I'd be faithful I said all these things so I try my best to do what I said and and I love my wife with all my heart but I could go out and have a fair affair tomorrow I could now I'm not going to I could because if I did have one I'd probably go to hell and, you know, in Texas, that's a two-syllable word, hell. And uh, you know, I think that was funny. It's true. No Texan just says hell. They say hell. And, uh, but the deal was I made a, a commitment. But if I let the external things in life, and I look at the external and, and how the, the picture looks prettier with somebody else, and I let the devil paint this pretty picture in my life and and show me externally this pretty girl or something I could fall into the doldrums of life and fall into a trap and it would be the end of my career and and it'd be the end of who I am and it'd be an end of everything that I've said I am 
and I can let it into everything with some external temptation in my life. But if I keep the eternal, the internal right, then I'll love her for all she is because I love God. They, they correlate with each other. When your internal is right, it causes all the external things to be right. We can't let the external affect the internal. When we love God and He is in us, the internal should affect the external, not vice versa. In Genesis 2.16, the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. He's saying, enjoy your life, but if you eat of this thing, you're going to be stuck in the doldrums of life, and, and you're going to think it's over. And you're going to, And what happens when this happens? What's the first thing the man and the woman do after they eat the fruit? They hide. They realize they're naked, and they run and hide. They run and What do we do when we start messing up in life? Who do we run from? We never learn the lesson from the first lesson in the Bible. We, we run away from God. I, I can tell when people are running from God they, they, and, and, and things are wrong in their life. They, I quit seeing them. They just disappear for months at a time. Because we have a natural instinct as humans to run from God when it's not God's fault. But what, here's the beautiful thing. What's the first thing God did? He went and looked for them. Why? It's because of his constant love. For each and every one of us. No matter our sin, no matter what we've done, no matter. In fact, I've come to the realization that the more we mess up, the more God's looking for us. It's just whether or not we'll ever find him. And ever realize that we don't. So in fact, I got, them, I got a little song in the back today. And they're going to play it right now. This is the picture that most of us have of God. Go ahead, Jerry. This is our picture of what we think God is. Is, is that not real? We, we have messed up, and that's the music we hear in our ears. I, I'm telling you, I, I've done it before. I, I've run from him. I, I've tried to hide, but we, we hear this music, and we think, we think God's mad at us. We never see God mad at Adam and Eve. He's not mad at them. That's not the God we serve. Darth Vader used power to manipulate people. He would, he would choke them out. He would do all kinds of crazy stuff. He used, he used bad things to influence people. We all know the movie. That's why I used that music this morning. But, but the truth is, that's how the devil operates. That's not how God operates. There is such a fatherly love for each and every one of us that he has. God doesn't want us stuck in a bad situation. He doesn't want us hiding. He doesn't want us to feel naked. He doesn't want our internal messed up. He's just waiting for us to embrace him once again. He's looking for you exactly where you're at at the point you're at today. Satan has always wanted us to choose the wrong tree. Every single time he's wanted us to choose the wrong tree. I want to give you two examples, and each of them have a choice, and then I'm going to close today. 
This is how we think as Christians. I need to do more. If I, if I gave more, God would bless me more. If I pray more, then God would love me. If I'd read his word more, then, then he might would give me this or, or, or do this for me. And, and this, is, this is how we, the, our perspectives are messed up. And If we just do more for God, it, it might get us somewhere closer to him. But it's not about doing more. It's about the second choice, which is receiving what has already been done. God's not looking for you to do stuff for him. He can do it for you. All he's waiting on you is you to receive it, for you to apply it, for you to have it. In fact, John 5, 39 through 40 says, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying, it's not the scriptures that saves you. It's what's in the scripture. It's who it's talking about. It's the testimony of Jesus. It's Jesus that saves us. It's the Holy Spirit in us that guides us. It's not, it's not what can we do. This isn't the army. It's not what you can, not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's not that mentality. Jesus said, I've already done it for you. You don't have to do it. It's already been done. All you have to do is receive it. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were no good for nothing, Jesus still died for us. Jesus isn't waiting for us. And we're not waiting for Jesus. Well, I got that wrong. Jesus isn't waiting for us to do stuff. Jesus has already done the stuff. He did it while we were messed up, while we were afflicted, while we were in our pain. And he's just waiting for us to grab a hold of the promise. But we think we have, there's two more choices. He think, we think we have to obey out of duty. I don't know what your view of God is, but that's a distorted view. It's probably distorted by the wrong tree. But it, it, we don't have to do stuff. It's not out of duty to God. It, it's We obey out of delight. And First John says His commands are no longer burdensome. His commands aren't burdensome. They're not, they're not here to be a burden on us. Duty is hard unless you obey out of delight. You see, it's not, it's not our duty to do things for God. We do the things that He asks us to do, not because it's a duty. That's why most people can never make Christianity right in their life and obey it. It's because they're doing it out of this sense of duty, and, this, and it turns into duty in their life. Because they fall into a bunch of duty, and it messes them up because they think they can never please God. They think we can never please God. We can never make That's not what God is like. He's not like that. We obey him because of our love for him. He's not forcing you to give on Sunday morning. That's why it says God loves a cheerful giver. He's not forcing you to do stuff in your life. He wants you to do it because there's this internal relationship of love. And because I love my wife, I naturally want to buy her jewelry. I naturally want to do things for her because, and don't take this wrong and go home and say, Husband, if you love me, you'd buy me some jewelry today. 
That's not what I'm saying. If you love me, you buy me a new MK purse today, Matt. <laughs> that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying because I love her, I want to do these things. And, and that's how it is with Jesus. In fact, it says this in, about external things in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name we drove out demons and we performed many miracles. And, and then while I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. It's because these people were focused on the external things and they never got the internal right that it's not about what we do. It's about our relationship that is with Him. Salvation is a byproduct of our love for God. Chris Hodges said it like this, The condition of my eternal life has nothing to do with my salvation and everything to do with my love for God because they go hand in hand. Salvation is a byproduct. Some of you today might say, well, pastor, I got saved when I was 10 years old. I said a prayer. But was there a change in your life? I'm afraid there's too many people in this world who, who said a one-day prayer but never experienced the love of God, never actually acquired a relationship with God. and They think that they've done all these external things right their whole life. And they've, they've, they've done all the external things they could do for the kingdom of God. But yet one day they're going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to say it wasn't about the external things in our life. It, it wasn't about you showing up and working at the church on Sunday morning. It was about the internal relationship. And because you had a relationship with me, then you showed up on Sunday morning. Then you showed up and you helped because you loved me and you loved my kingdom and you loved my house and you, you loved my church and you loved my people because first, you loved me. And that's what it's about. I don't want people in here today to, to have a false realization that they're going to heaven when they've never had a real relationship with Jesus. There has to be a conversion point in our lives where we turn to him. Stand with me today. He wants to save us from the doldrums of life. He wants to save us from all the external problems that we have. And I could give you a lot of answers for, to fix a lot of things in life with psychology and everything else that I've studied over the years. But psychology doesn't help our problems. Man's wisdom will never fix anything. That never helps anything. It never gets us out of the doldrums of life. The external things in life won't fix anything. Man's wisdom won't fix anything in your life. You can go to a psychologist for 10 years and still be messed up. The only thing that will truly fix your life and bring you fresh air and bring you the peace of God in your life is first, eternally and internally, saying, Jesus, I need a total change today. I want a relationship with you. I love you. I know that you died for me. I know that you were resurrected. I know that on the day of Pentecost, those guys were in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only do I need your salvation, but I need your relationship. 
I need I need your internal infilling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I need the evidence of speaking in tongues. I, I, I want everything that you have for me today, Jesus. I, I want it all. I want to be baptized. I want to go under the water. I want to come up new. I want to experience everything that you have for me today. You might say, well, Pastor, I, I did say a prayer a long time ago. or I did do this a long time ago, but I've never had a true relationship with Jesus you want a relationship with Jesus today, I want to give you that opportunity. Our prayer, our prayer partners are coming at this time. And uh, if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, I want you to take a step of faith today. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hands. I'm not going to pray with you right here. And Jesus said, if you make me known before, before all your friends and, and, before, and, and make me known in public, it, it seals our salvation. It's part of the deal. It's part of taking a step and saying, Jesus is the Lord of my life, and I'm not ashamed of him because he wasn't ashamed of me. And so today, if you need Jesus in your life, you need something to change, you just keep going in circles, and life just keeps not getting better. You want that internal fix that will fix all the external things in your life also. All I can do is say, take a step of faith today. Walk down this aisle and find Jesus. He's waiting Father, I bless you today. We love you, Dad, with all that's within us. I thank you that you bless these people as they go today, Father. That if they're stuck in different things in their life during the week sometime, if not today, they find you in a real way. And that you can just wipe out all the things, that they can build a true relationship with you. And they can step into a relationship with you and at the same time, step out of the doldrums of life and into their purpose. Let everyone we come in contact with this week, let, them t- let us tell them about you. Let, them sh- let us show them the light and let us lead them to you in a new and a real way, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.